Welcome to Lithium Ion Rock, Season 1, Episode 15, Part 3, with Luke Kassam, recorded on May 30th. ALB, Lithium King, and Charlotte, the Queen City of the South, Kings Mountain, American Girl. We recorded this interview with Luke in his Charlotte, North Carolina headquarters on the ninth floor overlooking Kings Mountain and Bessemer City. What do you think? The Kings Mountain was one of my questions. Uh, from the work that you've done, uh, what size is that, do you think, in terms of... Uh, at your investor day a couple of years ago, I think I had met John Mitchell at the time, and he said... Almost philosophy is 20,000 tons for 20 years. That's kind of like the minimum threshold of, of an opportunity. It's well above that. It's well above it's that. It's well above that. And, and the whole area in North Carolina, I mean, has, it's not just Kings Mountain, that is more material throughout right. those, the that, belt. Yeah, that the, the tin belt is what they call it. And those were the original um, resources that were used for lithium uh, in, in, in the Americas. And when the assets became available, the resources became available in Argentina and in uh, Chile, that's when those assets at Bessemer City and Kings Mountain were, were put on hold because of the cost position. And it was a smaller business. It was all about cost. It's different, world. different now. Different, much different world today. So um, we are actively studying. We've got people engaged on it full time. Um, and it's just a matter of what are the permits, what are the costs, what are the roadblocks? What are the decision points that, that we have to, what's that process look like over time? But I, I fully expect in, in my lifetime that they will be operating a, uh, uh, a lithium production facility in uh, Kings Mountain. It's hard for me to believe, given the trajectory of demand growth and you're seeing uh, SK Innovation, you know, coming with a battery plant and there'll be more cathode here that, uh, I've written about this, just the plain vanilla spodumene that's similar to what's in Western Australia and all the history with the metallurgy. It just, like, how could this area not become part of the future supply chain? There's no question it will. It, yeah. it, it, you know, the, the, the one difference that you have that, that we have to be concerned about is um, in Western Australia, I mean, it is, it's a great place. It's a great place for mine. It's a wonderful place to produce lithium. But there's not a lot of stuff around there. I mean, that, that the, the joint venture with MRL will be a fly-in, fly-out yeah, at that mine and at that site. You know, we're on I-85 here at the Tin Belt, not far from Charlotte, and the town's kind of growing around it. It is a different dynamic there, which requires a different thought process, different permits, uh, and different operating uh, parameters. So that's, that's really what the difference is, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, that asset in Kings Mountain is a world-scale asset at world-scale concentrations, and it will compete with any spodumene rock in the world. That's great. It's my understanding and the costs of labor and uh, energy and all sorts of infrastructure here. I've been to the Pilbara, and, and uh, a question on Wajna, and, and it's not a natural location in the Pilbara to build a, a downstream plant. I mean, right. the population is 15,000. Right. So I was curious how, I think I asked David Ryan this, that like you could theoretically ship to Kemerton right from the Pilbara, yep. but I don't think that's the plan. No. Where do you see Wajina sitting on the cost curve, both for hydroxide 
as well as spodumene, you indicated you wouldn't sell that spodumene unless you could earn your 40% margin. If I'm doing the math, I think the $400 cost of spodumene, you would probably need 650, 700 spodumene prices before that was economic. So just on those two questions of cost, yeah, so, what do so you think? We're, we, um, if, if I look at the development out there, my expectation is that we will build a conversion asset at, at Wajina, and it'll be a fly-in, fly-out just like they operate the mine today. And the camp's there, um, so they'll, MRL will continue to operate that camp, soon we can operate the crusher, the concentrator, and we'll have a hydroxide plant there. I also think we're going to look at um, uh, areas uh, in the future um, that China's an obvious choice because the capital intensity would be lesser, would be less um, there. I think on the cost curve, uh, Wojina won't be Talison, but it'll be it'll compete with everything else from a rock standpoint. So, I think we'll be absent Talison uh, on the low end of that cost curve, uh, and when you blend the Albemarle rate, we'll be Albemarle a bit below in the cost curve from rock to hydroxide. Do you uh, have a particular view on how um, the U.S. can secure a battery supply chain for future EV adoption? <laughs> Yeah, they can uh, assist Albemarle. No, um, I, I, look, I think you got to go where the resources are. And if you're going to follow the top-tier resources in the world today, those resources are in Chile, those resources are in Argentina, there's a potential for those resources in Bolivia in the, in the triangle down there. Uh, and then you got Western Australia, you got the best quality rock in the world. There in North Carolina, and I'm looking out a window here at, at Kings Mountain uh, and towards Bessemer City, those are world-class uh, uh, resources. And it's just a matter of from a capital perspective, from a regulatory perspective, from a community perspective, are we going to be able to effectively and efficiently bring that to the market in the next decade? Are we going to need to look at resources in further in Western Australia, expand further in Chile, or, or in other areas of, of Latin America. So to us, you got to follow the resource. Um, and with brine, you're not going to ship brine halfway across the world because it's water. You're just shipping water. So you're going to produce the lithium hydroxide and lithium carbonate there. If you look at the battery manufacturers today, there's only one or two smaller battery manufacturers in the United States. Uh, so there's going to have to be a conscious decision made to, from a government standpoint to incentivize the capital investment that will be necessary to compete with a brownfield expansion in Asia. I mean, just, it's just dollars and cents. There's going to have to be some incentive to be able to drive that supply chain in North America. Are you talking about incentive for the mining or incentive for cathode and battery I'm talking plants? About, I'm talking about both. I'm talking about both. Now, it's easier to ship lithium hydroxide around the world, right? It just It's a powder. It's li e easier to ship lithium carbonate around the world or, or lithium metal. Um, but those batteries, and that's where the resource is, but those battery producers can build a plant pretty much anywhere they can get the raw materials that they need, right? They're always going to be faced in building in the U.S. It's going to be a greenfield site. So it's got to be a brand new site versus expanding existing sites in Asia, which is usually less expensive from a capital intensity standpoint because you've already got the basic infrastructure there that you may not have on a greenfield site. So I think the, the government is, is looking at it. 
I think local governments need to be engaged as well. And if we want to have a U.S. supply chain for lithium batteries that are solely from a North America standpoint, there needs to be some infrastructure, there needs to be some coordination, and there needs to be some incentives made to bring in that entire supply chain. And that is consistent with what's happening in Europe, and we've seen that. Absolutely. It, and it's certainly what's happening in China. China is being aggressive in uh, trying those, uh, finding ways to get the offtakes for the raw materials. Uh, and there's certain incentives that the government has in place uh, to encourage the battery production within China. If you produce lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide within China today and export it outside of China, there's a 13% non-recoverable VAT, essentially a 13% tax on any exports of hydroxide or carbonate outside of China. Now, other products are similar to that, that that encourages the, uh, from a cost perspective, if you're a cathode producer or a battery producer and the capital is lower to build in China, you've got an incentive at lower lifting costs because you don't have to pay that tax. It, it, it makes sense if they do the same with other raw materials. Uh, and you can get the, the quality labor that you need and the technology, which they certainly have. You're following, you know, where your customers are. So if your customers are in Asia, you're developing assets near there. But do you see a, a role or as an American company, as, as an American, um, you know, championing kind of U.S. battery cathode investments and then Albemarle being, you know, strategically important raw material supplier to say GM, Ford, you know, VW, USA, you know, et cetera? Yeah, boy, that's that's tough when you run a global business because you, you got to go where your customers are. And if you, if you look, 50% of all the EVs today are in China, uh, a bigger, maybe 25% Europe, and then 15% U.S. and the rest of the world. Dave, that about mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, so you can't ignore China, not being the business that we're in. You can't you can't ignore Europe and being the business we're in. That's 75% of the market. So. Um, we've got to go to where our customers are. So it, it, I, I um, have faith uh, in the American ingenuity of a way to figure out how to do it, um, but we need to get busy doing it, okay? And we need to get busy. We need to quit talking about it. We need to do it. That sounds great. Luke, thank you. Rodney, do you have any other questions? No, this is great. Okay, great. So now we're going to focus on uh, getting some cool pictures that we can, uh, you know, put as part of this cover art. And uh, and hey, Rodney, yeah. nice to nice talk to you. Okay, dude. Absolutely, that was great. Thanks very much for making uh, the time. Okay, it's uh, June 11th. Welcome to Lithium Ion Rocks. We are here in Santiago, uh, finalizing the third segment with Albemarle, and we have a very special guest whose name I'm going to let her pronounce, but the first name is Ellen. Howard, I think you can do the rest. Go for Ellen. it. <laughs> Ellen Lenny Pisano. Excellent. All right. So the country manager for Albemarle, who was appointed some nine months ago. And before we go into it, um, Ellen has a background as a diplomat, uh, largely focused on promoting U.S. exports and free trade as a diplomat in the Foreign Service at the U.S. Department of Commerce. 
and has been posted in various countries, including Chile the last seven years, but also, I believe, in Mexico, Colombia, Argentina as well. And Spain. And Spain. Okay. So what, I guess, um, made you become a diplomat and spend your whole career there? And also, how did you become aware of the album role position and what attracted you to leave the, your role in government service uh, for album role? Okay. Lots of questions. So um, I love languages and was very interested in international business and um, uh, discovered that a good way to get great experience was joining uh, the International Trade Administration. And, uh, and my plan was to go back to the private sector after a couple of years of learning uh, all that needed to be learned. And uh, in the meantime, I found out about the Commerce Department's Foreign Service, and I realized immediately that was for me. Took the exam and went off for my first assignment to Argentina and was there at a really exciting time, 1997 to 2002. At the time, Argentina was the darling, the, one of the great growing markets, and then I was also there for their economic meltdown, which um, you know was very tragic in terms of its toll on, on, on people, but it was also, I have to admit, um, very interesting from an international business perspective and from an economics perspective to see how when uh, people don't know where the economy's going, when they don't know what will happen to their currency, how everything stops. That was my first assignment. And, and as you mentioned, Howard, I've had um, all Spanish-speaking, all Spanish-speaking assignments and uh, loved what I did, helping U.S. companies export, uh, as well as helping U.S. companies invest in the market I was in. And I worked across the broad range of sectors, except for agriculture, because there's a, a separate surface service that works on that. I woke up every morning excited about creating jobs in the U.S., and I did that for 26 years. While I was posted in Argentina, and excuse me, in Chile, uh, Albemarle uh, Rockwood, and then Albemarle was a company that I worked with as they were looking at, at how they could increase uh, their extraction rate. And so I worked very closely with them, um, had the opportunity to, to work with the team here, to work with the leadership team, including Luke uh, uh, from Charlotte, and also uh, brief the board um, when, when they visited Chile. So I liked the company. I liked the mission. I couldn't move from waking up every morning and creating jobs in the U.S. to selling software. So, you know, the, the idea of working with a company whose, whose mission is to help reduce global warming. And, you know, I mentioned in my presentation today here at the Lithium Conference that the indigenous people feel very strongly connected to the Salar. They inherited it from their grandparents. And, and they want to also leave a sustainable solar to their grandchildren. That's my vision uh, for what I do, is I want to leave a sustainable world for, for my grandchildren. And so, you know, I wake up really every morning enthused about helping Albemarle provide the lithium that's going to help move the world in a sustainable way. When I found out about the opportunity in, in Albemarle, it was, it was a given that, you know, it was time for me to make a change. I had really wasn't learning anything anymore, and it was really a no-brainer for me. Big, big change to move from the government to the private sector, but haven't regretted it once. I'm really, really pleased to be part of this amazing team here in Albemarle. Well, as we've observed, there are diplomatic considerations in any emerging market country. I guess, uh, what is Albemarle's uh, on, yeah, ongoing collaboration with the Chilean government? 
We have a contract with Albemarle um, that forms the basis of our ability to extract lithium. Our predecessor company started the lithium industry in, in Chile 39 years ago, and we did that with a joint venture with Albemarle, in fact. Um, so we've got a long... With Albemarle, Rockwood... With, with, excuse me, with Corfo. <laughs> with Corfo. Currently, we've got a, a, a great relationship uh, with Corfo. There's a lot of aspects of our, of our contract that need to be checked on um, frequently. For example, our sales invoices. So we've got uh, a team from Albemarle that comes over frequently. But we also um, uh, stay very close to Corfo to let them know what's going on with our production. Our commission to the, the Chilean state is, is an important one. And so we like them to be aware of what we're, what we're doing so that they can also understand uh, what impact that will have in terms of the revenues coming into the Chilean government. As part of our contract, we've committed to 300 million U.S. dollars in R&D, and Corfo has the um, sole authority to determine what to do with those funding. And so uh, two weeks ago, they announced a bid for consortium to work on the cir on circular economy themes as well as possibly uh, build a recycling facility in the north of, of Chile. While I couldn't be at the announcement, someone from Albemarle was there, and they asked me to provide a, a video for, for that launch. We've, we're working very closely together. As you know, uh, collaboration always leads to better results. And so we're really pleased that, that we have a, a very strong relationship with Corfo. That's great. I don't know uh, if this is being picked up by uh, the, the recording, but um, we're here uh, adjacent to where the uh, Tangshi uh, cocktail hour is going to be, and uh, it is lithium ion rock, so if there's some background music here, uh, we're going to have to put up with it. How do you see, what is the situation in the Solar to Atacama today? We consider our operation to be very sustainable, and it's something that a lot of companies are looking at now. The government is continually uh, monitoring the sustainability of the solar as well. And when we um, received our new environmental permit in 2016, it was based on a whole host of requirements that would allow us to show to the Chilean government that our operation is sustainable. So just to give you a few examples, we have 150 monitoring wells um, within the Salar, many of which are in indigenous lands. And we um, monitor those either biweekly or monthly, depending on the requirement. And I think very interestingly, there's a, a team of, of the indigenous community. They actually have their own environmental committee. And every time we go out and monitor a well, they accompany us. So they're, they're learning how the process works. We've provided training on, on uh, environmental issues within the Salar, um, but they're also verifying that the information that we're providing is correct. So that's one example. I think um, another uh, key thing for, for listeners to be aware of is that we have an early warning plan established with the government. So as we look at these thresholds, as we go out and monitor the environmental health of the Salar, we have a plan in place such that if the thresholds go beneath a certain level, we would actually have to reduce our pumping. And all of this is cl clearly laid out environmental plan with the government. So what does that mean? That means if we were to have a temporary impact on the Salar, um, we would have to reduce our, our pump rates. And over time, if, if the thresholds were to rise again, then there would be a mechanism to, um, to, to go back to the original pump rate. It's all put in place in order to ensure the sustainability of the Salar, because that is our commitment, um, not only to the indigenous people in the Salar, so that they can ensure that their 
their grandchildren are inheriting a sustainable solar, but also it's our commitment to, to the Chilean people. I noticed in your presentation something like 80% of uh, the employees are indigenous people, um, Eight, which I thought was a very large number well, compared to the fly-in, fly-out. Yeah, so it's, it, that's not exactly right. So 80% of our, of our um, Albemarle employees here in Chile are from the Antofagasta region, which is really important. Uh, because um, it, t traditionally mining companies um, will have more people flying in and flying out. They're up at you know 4,000 meters, and people work maybe seven days a week, seven for seven days straight, and then they go home. We've got the f facility in La Negra, which allows us to have um, employ fully employ um, people in Antofagasta, and in the Salar. 30% of the people who work in the Salar are from the local indigenous communities, and we're really proud of that. And, and not only is it, a, is it a good number, you have to remember that we've been operating there for 39 years, and so we have um, second generations um, that, are, have, are, that are working with us. Um, so it's really, it's a family. What steps is Albemarle taking to improve the conditions in, in the area? In addition to all the um, monitoring that we do that I mentioned, we've embarked on a, a new project that's going to allow us to produce more lithium while maintaining the same extraction rate. And, and that's really critical. The Minister of Mining in, in this morning in the lithium conference was, was one of his asks is that companies need to continue, continually innovate, continually improve their processes. And so that's exactly where we are. We currently have the highest efficiency rate in the Solar, and we're looking to even up that, that even more. Um, additionally, we have a team that looks at, at innovations that's working with companies from all over the world in order to continually improve our processes. And really, each facility is very different. The brine is different. So our neighbor's brine is different from our brine, and our brine is different um, depending on where we pump it from um, and depending on it, it also evolves over time. So it really is a very complex operation, and, and, and it's one that has a lot of value add. A lot of professional people are supporting uh, engineers, uh, environmental specialists, geologists, hydrogeologists, are all working with us um, in this very high value add uh, process that we have here in Chile. The 30% that you talked about, I think you, in your presentation, you said about $100 million. Another analyst kind of commented that that was the number. Is that right? So um, our, as part of our contract with Corfo, we pay commissions on our sales of our, of our final price to our clients. And if you look at April 1 of last year to March 31 of, of 2019, we've paid over $100 million in commissions to Corfo. Okay. I was talking about the, uh, what Luke described was a thermal evaporator. Um, I think it was, I thought it was in your presentation that it cost $100 million, but maybe that was, you were talking about what you were just talking about. Yeah, to echo what Luke mentioned, we have installed a, a thermal evaporator in the new plant, and it will not only reduce water usage in the new plant, it will also reduce water usage in plant one and two. So yet another good example of our sustainability. And the 30% increase, I think that that's off of about a 50%. Yes. And so that's like to 65%. Absolutely. That's the expectation. Not, Absolutely. And it's not 50 to 80. That was just one question that I had. Okay. Yeah. The difference between brine and water, 
So, you know, there's been, as I mentioned, a lot of focus on the sustainability of the Salar. And I think sometimes reports, journalists are confused about the different resources. We extract brine uh, in order to produce lithium. Our extraction rate allowed is 442 liters per second. We have water. Uh, so, so the brine, it, it's important to, to note that it can't be used for anything else, right? It can't be used for drinking water, and it can't be used for agriculture. We do have 21 liters per second of water rights to use in our processes, and we only use six liters per second. There's mining companies that are extracting water from the basin that have an impact, but our impact is on brine, and it's something that doesn't have another application. Is it necessary to have coordinated management in the Solar to Atacama? You know, we, we do think it would be helpful. You know, there's four four companies, two that are extracting brine and, and two that are extracting water. Of course, we believe it would be very helpful to work together. We're hoping to get to that to the, to that level, um, to be able to sit down and collaborate and all pull in the same direction to ensure the sustainability of the Solar. Okay, and this is one uh, question here that uh, I wasn't aware of an issue, but you brought it to my attention or consideration that uh, you want to talk about. Uh, the relationship with the Council of the Arak Kamenyos peoples. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, Howard, and when you're when you're uh, extracting natural resources, having a strong relationship with the local community is critical. As we uh, began to look to increasing our extraction rate, the first thing that we did was meet with the with the local community. We started with the community of Peine, which is the indigenous community that's closest to our facility. It's 27 kilometers away. We had a long relationship with them, uh, signed an agreement with them in 2012 that basically lays out the framework in which we'll work together. We provide uh, financial contributions in order for them to provide better education and then some, some important infrastructure aspects. And from there, the, the, the indigenous communities around the Salar, there's 18 of them, became interested in, in working with us as well. And, and the community of Peine and Solidarity also asked us to work with the larger indigenous community. So this council is really interesting because it's the only one of its kind in Chile that represents the same indigenous ethnicity. And, and they're actually the official body that works with municipalities, that works with the central government on issues that affect them. And so uh, we began a dialogue with them. Um, they were very interested in ensuring the sustainability of the Salar and, and ensuring that they could continue to support their traditions. And, and we, of course, were interested in the same, as well as being able to um, uh, continue uh, to produce lithium in the Salar through 2043. So we signed an agreement with them. It's the only of its kind in, in Chile. And um, we share 3.5% of our sales with the indigenous community on an annual basis. And what they do is each community, through a unanimous process within their assembly, develop projects based on their development plans. We fund those projects, and at the end of the year, a third-party auditor does an audit to ensure that the, that the the money has been used in the appropriate way. We've done this for three years with the council and haven't had any problems, and we've got, what is it, another 20, 25 years to go, I guess, through 20, 2043, 20, 24 years to go. We're, we're really proud of this uh, relationship that we've developed with them, but I think the most important thing about this agreement is that 
three quarters of this agreement is based on the sustainability of the solar. As I mentioned earlier, they have they've developed their own environmental committee. Uh, we're required to provide four trainings a year and in the environment and the sustainability of the solar. We actually did eight this year. It's a great relationship. And another interesting piece of, of our agreement is that the, the council is interested in having their own monitoring wells. And so through our agreement, we'll, we'll pay for the installation of those wells. And then they're going to be responsible for monitoring them, sharing the, the appropriate information. The, the agreement we have is, is one of a kind, and uh, it was voluntary. Uh, was not a requirement of, uh, from Corfo or, or any other government agency in order to continue uh, operating here. What was their biggest concern? From the indigenous community, yes. really the sustainability, the sustainability, and as such, when you know when we designed the the agreement, that's why so much of it is focused on on environmental impact, on the thresholds in the solar, et cetera. And uh, in last year, uh, the CCN rejected Albemarle's request to increase the lithium sales quota in the cellar. Will you insist on that? Following the rejection, we analyzed our, our numbers again. And in reality, based on our projections for, for our production, we actually have enough sales quota to get us through 2043, which is the lifetime of our contract here. And so we will not be insisting with Sichen on the approval of uh, the additional sales quota. Okay, and, and do you already have the uh, technology that increases the efficiency and allows you to achieve that goal? We do. We've been looking at very innovative processes, and um, we've got one that we firmly believe in, and, and uh, we're, we're, we're already underway in, in developing that project. And if my understanding is correct, that's sort of late 2021, I think, the start? Uh, yeah, about that. And after last year's disagreements with Corfo over the preferential price. Do you consider that uh, Chile provides a favorable scenario for the development of the industry? I, yes, we absolutely continue to believe that, that Chile has favorable, it's a, it would be a good place for other companies to invest. We're, as you've seen, we're continuing to uh, invest heavily here in Chile. The undersecretary who was at the, the conferences this afternoon talked about some new regulations they'll be putting in place in order to attract uh, further lithium investment. And we'll be very interested to see what those, of course, what those parameters look like. So, uh, you, you know, you mentioned it. Uh, so how much have, has Albemarle invested and in which, uh, which areas, which projects? So we're in the process of, of, of investing almost $1 billion. I already mentioned the Solar Yield Project. And then, of course, we're in the process of finishing Plant 3, which is going to allow us to more than duplicate our production and, and get up to about 80,000, 85,000 uh, metric tons per year. And just uh, to remind the uh, listeners, what's the timeline roughly on that? So we're looking at the end of 2020 um, for, for completing the project and then uh, full commissioning in, at, at the beginning of 2021. And that's for La Negra 3? That's La Negra 3. And uh, are you studying any new projects uh, in Chile? You know, we've really got our hands full right now. Doubling production is, is a challenging one, and uh, I'd say at this point, it's really where our full focus is. Okay, great. 
maybe one or two more questions on, on my end. You mentioned your history in Argentina um, before it was bad and then when it was bad. And, you know, it, it kind of went good with Macri. There was all this hope and optimism and a lot of investment kind of came in particular in the lithium space. You also mentioned another thing I was thinking is that uh, there wasn't much mining, you know, in what you did there. And I actually analyzed just a couple of days ago that uh, – Chile, a much smaller country, 17 million versus 44 million in Argentina. But if you look at the n- nature of the exports, it's mostly, you know, agriculture, soybeans, and and the like. And there's not as much mining activity, which means there's less mining infrastructure in Argentina compared to to, to Chile. But w- what would you, how do you assess what's happening in Argentina? We have an election in October. Yeah. Um, you know, inflation's very high, debt is high. They got bailed out by the IMF again. So th- there's a lot of political uncertainty. There's I don't know where the polls are, but Christina kind of coming back. Just could you give us a sense of how this may play out and and what that you know kind of could mean you know risk reward wise or sovereign risk perspective you know for for anyone again lithium mine rocks is focused on people investing in the lithium space and a lot of people are thinking about you know where they should put their money and and Argentina is you know has become more risky in the past you know eighteen months. Yeah. So, excellent question. And I would like to point out I was in the Salar de Hombre Muerto, I think, in 2000, uh, when, when lithium wasn't a big deal. But I remember the time thinking what a, what a beautiful and exotic place it was. And looking at these blue blue pools was, was, was pretty fascinating to me. And I never, never expected that I would uh, be working for a lithium company uh, 19 years later. So... But, but back to Argentina, um, you know, it, it is a, a country that uh, history has shown uh, goes up and goes down. And um, uh, certainly uh, businesses that have uh, an ability to move quickly in and out or to reduce exposure can do well in, in a market like that. Um, clearly, uh, investing in the lithium space is very different, and, and one is looking at a much longer-term outlook. If you're asking to choose between Chile and Argentina, you know, I do think that, uh, that our experience here in Chile speaks volumes about, about the um, stability here, and, and Chile is certainly known for its strong institutions, clear rules and regulations. And when you look at presidential elections, uh, while you know, we see flip-flopping between the more conservatives and and, and the more socialists, uh, you don't see huge shifts in terms of of economic policy, um, which in in terms of, you know, making long-term investment um, certainly reduces the risk. Argentina, as you pointed out, has another another election uh, coming up. Depending on who wins, the outcome could be quite different. That said, you know, I do think that there are certainly industries uh, um, that that have been able to have long-term success in Argentina. So it's not impossible. And, and you, you do need to remember that um, a lot of the mining policies is made at the provincial level in Argentina. Clearly, a presidential election will have an impact on that, but um, it's not the only game in town. I've been told, because we looked at Argentina well before lithium was popular, and, and they said it, 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 the province matters, right, yeah. the, the provincial law. Okay, that's great. I have, uh, you know, thousands more questions which we could ask, and uh, hopefully we can uh, do this again sometime uh, in a few months or you know, later this year or whatever. But thank you so much. It was great meeting you, Ellen, and um, very, you know, enthusiastic, you know, as a compliment to our interview with Luke to uh, round this out in, in part three um, on the Albemarle Lithium Ion Rocks podcast. Thank you, Howard. Thank you, Rodney. I appreciate it. You know, some discussion, the, the narrative out there about Albemarle uh, is often very negative. 
de-worsification, the worst deal uh, in mineral resources. I, I have had a much different view, and I like what I heard from Luke you know, on this podcast. And also exceptionally impressed with uh, Ellen Lenny Pisano, who, um, you know, when she mentioned her first seven years living in Argentina, uh, reminded me of, um, you know, another woman in lithium. For those genuinely interested in a healthy lithium market, I think we need to see a healthy Albemarle and a healthy uh, stock performance for Albemarle and leadership that would then attract uh, investment across the sectors. So to all those uh, guys and girls, um, you know, who call Albemarle a bad company, um, I referenced in that uh, Southern Accents, Lithium Bull, another song from uh, my favorite, Tom Petty. In Lithium Ion Rocks, Lithium Ion Bull, and through our respective LinkedIn and Twitter posts, Rodney and I may share with our audience some rationale for a stock for which we have conviction, to own or not to own. If you agree or disagree with and act on or against the rationale of anything said or written in this or any other lithium-ion rocks or lithium-ion bull, that's your free choice. But to be clear, what you are listening to or reading is not investment advice and may not be unbiased. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation to buy or sell any security. Rodney and I are not registered investment advisors nor broker-dealers. Please visit libull.com for further disclaimers.